play and stay on Washington State's Kitsap Peninsula, the natural side of the Puget Sound. Stand up paddleboarding, hiking, great restaurants and breweries. I'll tell you more about your next vacation destination later in the show. Cairo, Seattle. I'm Rachel Bell, and this is Your Last Meal, a show about famous people and the stories behind the foods they love most. Today on the program, Carla Lolly Music. Carla just released her second cookbook. It's called That Sounds So Good. That Sounds So Good. The title comes from my dad because it is the thing that he will say when we're in our long family thread about what we're going to eat when we're together on the weekend and we're menu planning and going back and forth like forever. Finally, someone will suggest something and my dad will say, ooh, that sounds so good. And that's when it's like, okay, settled. So that's where the title of the book came from. I want to make so many recipes from this book. The fat noodles with pan-roasted mushrooms and crushed herb sauce and the soft tofu and clam soup. For many years, Carla was food director at Bon Appetit magazine and one of the stars of their popular YouTube videos. But she decided to leave in 2020, along with many of her coworkers, after a big racial inequality scandal. You may also remember Carla from this podcast. She was a guest on the Mark Bittman episode. We have talked a lot about Jewish food on your last meal. Maria Sharapova's latkes, Paul Reiser's bagels from Barney Greengrass, Stephen Page's matzo ball soup, But today, we're going to get biblical. An Italian archaeologist who focuses on early Christian history will share his research on what Jesus really ate at the Last Supper. But first, my conversation with Carla Lolly Music. Carla started her culinary career as a line cook in New York City, and then she got a job at Shake Shack. It was the very first general manager at the very first location. Which she describes as an actual shack in New York's Madison Square Park. It's just really wild to look back on it now and see that there's Shake Shacks like in Dubai and in London and just all over the world. Do you know how to make their burgers? Like, is that something you could make at home? Oh, yeah. And I do. Ooh. Is that secret information or could you give hints on how someone could make a Shake Shack burger at home? Well, they've published a cookbook, but really it's about buying good meat and making sure it's not too lean. So you definitely want an 80-20. And the meat that we used to get was like a blend of brisket and short rib and chuck. A lot of butcher shops now will make a blend for you. But really, if you just get chuck, it's great. If it's all short rib, it's great. And the key is super hot griddle or cast iron skillet, really, really hot preheated, loosely packing a four ounce patty, salt and pepper generously. And then when it hits the surface of the pan, you want to smash it down so that you get those little craggy outside edges and those get really crunchy and delicious. And then most of the cooking time is really on that first side. So You're not going to get deep brown on both sides without completely drying out the burger, but you want that super seared, dark flavor from the meat. So just lean in on the first side and cook it like 90% of the way through and then just flip it for like 20 seconds at the end. It's delicious. It's still my favorite like way to have it, but some people love big fat burgers, juicy burgers, eight ounce burgers. Like for me, that smashed and griddled is the only way. From Shake Shack, she moved on to work for Martha Stewart, and then she landed at Bon Appetit. When Carla was younger, she didn't have any aspirations to work in food media. But this line of work runs in her family. 
So you grew up in a house where your mom was a cookbook editor and a food writer. And I read that, you know, you guys would go out to dinner a lot, but you didn't really love it as a kid because you couldn't get the food that you really wanted to have. These are, you know, uh, first world problems. We would go out to eat in a restaurant with my mom. Her name is Carol Lolly. And inevitably, you know, the waiter would come over and be like, oh, we're so happy to have you tonight. The chef would love to prepare like a special menu for you. And it was the ultimate compliment. But as a nine-year-old, you're like, oh, no, this is going to be like little courses. And I just wanted a wedge salad with blue cheese followed by fettuccine Alfredo. Like that was (laughs) my order. I didn't have the same experience with like a parent having a food job, but I understand being a kid and wanting to basically eat Midwestern food. Like all I wanted to do was go to the Olive Garden. My mom grew up with a single mom in Brooklyn in the Bronx and with all TV dinners and canned food. So when she had kids, she's like nothing in a can, you know, fresh vegetables. All I wanted was casseroles and green bean casseroles from a can. And yeah, first world problems. But now I know that she was doing the right thing. But back then did not care. My mom, very similar story was she lost her dad when she was young and raised by a single working mom with two younger brothers. And her mom really didn't cook and was not a great cook. And so my mom became a great cook through necessity of like, somebody's got to, somebody has to figure this out. But I always wanted like Campbell's cream and mushroom soup yes, or like TV dinners. Like, why can't we have that stuff. Oh, I love that your little kitty was just in the frame. Oh yeah. She's, she knows when something important is happening and she's going to show up. Okay. So what would your last meal be? Oh, this is a tough question. Um, it's hard to think about, right. But (laughs) if I had to go out and of course we're going peacefully and gently in the, in the night at a ripe old age of 103, I had sunlight on my toes, uh, birds chirping. That night, I want to eat like a fresh baguette, some beautiful made that day, crusty loaf of bread, good butter, flaky salt, and a bottle of red wine. That's it? That's it. What kind of red wine do you like the best? Um, I guess for this, I would have something Italian because that's the wine my dad always poured growing up. So like, yeah, a nice, a nice Chianti. Would be great. Maybe a Sicilian red, you know, with a little bit of chill on it. (laughs) I will say, when I went to Italy, I love that they chilled red wine in some places. I actually liked it better, and I found that I could drink it in the day and not get tired. I don't know why, but the coldness actually felt energizing. Yeah, it's like a cold shower, but wine. Yeah, yeah, but wine. (laughs) So why would that be your last meal? As somebody who loves food so much, why something so simple? I think... There's kind of nothing better than bread and butter. Like it yeah. is, I think when I think about that question, it's, it's about comfort, familiarity, routine, you know, like something that you would have a lot of memories attached to from your whole life, you know, all the way back. Um, and it would be very comforting. Where is your perfect baguette from? And, and do you want like a long skinny one or like a circle? What is your, what do you want? I want the long crusty one. So there's a couple of bakeries here in Brooklyn. One is called Bianqui, which is like really beautiful, naturally leavened, but they bake things to a really deep mahogany, like walnut mm. crust. 
Their baguette is fantastic. And then the baguette from She Wolf Bakery. They're at the farmer's market in my neighborhood. It sells out. You have to be like one of the first 50 people. And sometimes they're like still warm when you get to the market. You got to eat it that day. Do you have a butter preference? Preference? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I like cultured butter, you know, with a little bit of tang. And you used to only be able to get that from like an imported European butter. But there's now really delicious domestic cultured butters. Vermont Creamery makes Mm. one that's really good. You know, just has like that rich taste and a little bit of, of tang to it. For her last meal, Carla Lolly Music, which is one of the best and most fun names to say, wants a crusty baguette with cultured butter and a bottle of Italian red wine. After I do an interview, I start my research process very simply. I just Google the guest's last meal, hoping to find something unexpected or interesting. And when I Googled bread and wine, the same thing came up over and over and over and over and over and over again. What do you think comes up over and over and over again when you Google bread and wine? Jesus. I was not expecting this. Googling bread and wine almost exclusively calls up articles on Christianity and the Eucharist, a word I honestly didn't know and had to look up a definition for. Hi, Jewish, party of one. Even though I had a feeling I knew what her answer would be, in the name of journalistic integrity, I emailed Carla and asked if her last meal of bread and wine had any religious connotations. She emailed back, oh God, definitely not. I mean, I get why you would say that, but no, last thing on my mind, LOL. I don't know if Carla noticed, but in her attempt to say that her last meal was not religious, she still started her sentence with, oh God. Even though Carla's last meal has nothing to do with Jesus or Christianity, it was too obvious an angle to pass up. Google practically demanded that I research this angle. So when we come back, Carla Lolly Music's last meal goes biblical. If you're a fan of naturally gorgeous, off-the-beaten-path vacation spots with small-town charm, you're going to want to plan a visit to Washington State's Kitsap Peninsula, where you can grab a scoop of homemade ice cream and stroll around the adorable European seaside village of Paulsbow, or walk on the ferry in Seattle and get off in downtown Bainbridge Island. And May is the perfect month to visit Bremerton or Silverdale, where you can get out of the city and into the forest in just 15 minutes for a beautiful hike. Enjoy a farm-to-table meal at Bremerton's Restaurant Lola, a Black-owned business. I really need to make the trip out there for their Creole brunch. And in the morning, stop by Saboteur Bakery for croissants that are so flaky and buttery, you'll think you're in Paris. There's also a gorgeous golf course in the middle of the forest, and there are several naval museums in Bremerton. Go to visitkitsap.com slash yourlastmeal to learn more. That's K-I-T-S-A-P, or you can find a link in the show notes. Play and stay on the Kitsap Peninsula, the natural side of the Puget Sound. 
like listening to your last meal, you might like watching my new TV show, The Nosh with Rachel Bell. We just wrapped up season one, so there are four tasty episodes ready for you to binge at CascadePBS.org. In episode one, I convince an East Coast skeptic that Seattle now has fantastic bagels. And in the season finale, we go truffle hunting just about an hour outside of Seattle. Episodes are a quick bite just eight and a half minutes long. So grab a snack and cozy up with the nosh available anytime, anywhere at cascadepbs.org or find a link in the show notes. Before the break, I mentioned that I had to look up what the Eucharist means. Oxford Dictionary defines it as the Christian ceremony commemorating the Last Supper, in which bread and wine are consecrated and consumed, Holy Communion. So the bread represents Jesus's body, the wine represents his blood. Now, admittedly, I don't know much, if anything, about Christianity. It's not something that I have studied. It's not something I grew up with. But I happen to have a large, very gaudy, brightly colored painting of Leonardo da Vinci's Last Supper in my bathroom. It's in an even gaudier fake gold frame, and I bought it at a thrift store so long ago that I can't even remember where or when. But I have looked at this painting a lot over the years, while I'm moisturizing or while I'm brushing my teeth, and I've always wondered, what are they eating? In the Last Supper painting, there is a long wooden table with Jesus seated in the center, and surrounding him on the same side of the table are the 12 apostles. In my version, it looks like everybody has a dinner roll, or maybe a round brown potato, not on a plate, just kind of sitting on the table. There are little glasses of red wine and a couple other foods that I can't quite figure out. It kind of looks like fruit. In the story of the Last Supper, the Bible rudely fails to mention what they were having for dinner. Clearly, I needed an expert. And I was so lucky to find Generoso Orcioli, an Italian archaeologist who specializes in the history of early Christianity. He wrote a book called Jerusalem, the Last Supper. Several years ago, Generoso revealed his research to the world. He and his partner studied Jewish writings, ancient Palestinian food, ancient paintings where food was present, and a couple of meals mentioned in the New Testament. There's the wedding at Cana, where the water to wine miracle occurred, and Herod's banquet. And he concluded that pretty much everything depicted in the famous Leonardo da Vinci Last Supper painting is inaccurate. Oh, and speaking of inaccurate... At the beginning of my call with Generoso, I accidentally referred to the famous artist who painted The Last Supper as Leonardo DiCaprio. <laughs> Generoso explains that the food on Leonardo da Vinci's Last Supper table is Italian and represents what was eaten in his era. In the masterpiece of Leonardo, we found the typical food of Italy, of the land of Italy, some fruit, some fish. The wine is the wine of the Italy. But Jesus and the apostles were Middle Eastern, not Italian. And the Last Supper is said to have taken place in the first century A.D. He also disputes the way they're seated at the table. They would not have eaten sitting on a chair and they would not have used the table. Generoso says the food would have been served communally in big earthenware bowls, and they would have been sitting on the floor on cushions around a low table. They would have eaten everything with their hands and used no utensils. There was no specially cutlery. People ate with their hands. Even bread wasn't sliced with a knife. You would just tear off a chunk from the loaf. 
In the Last Supper paintings, the wine is always red. But Generoso says there is no way of knowing if Jesus liked a nice Chianti or if he was more of a rosé all day kind of guy. So what were they eating at the Last Supper? It's a, a sort of a guess what. Why? Because according to the public's imagination, the Last Supper took place during the Passover celebration. If Jesus was Jewish and therefore kosher, and the Last Supper was a sort of Passover Seder, which many historians believe it was, Generoso thinks they would have been eating lamb and a stewed bean dish called cholent, which is still eaten by many Jewish people today, not including me, because when I was 10 years old, my mom's friend made a very gross version, and I have never wanted to eat it since. Generoso says the table might have also had olives, an herb with a mint-like taste, bitter herbs with pistachio, a choroset, which is a chunky fruit and nut paste that we still eat on Passover today. I make mine with apples and walnuts, honey and red wine. He thinks there could have been dates and most likely a fermented fish sauce that was also very popular with ancient Romans. And of course, the reason we're talking about this in the first place, bread and wine. But if it was in fact a Passover meal, the bread would have to be unleavened, kind of like the matzah that we eat today. Remember in the intro of this episode where I said, oh, we always talk about Jewish food and we're not going to talk about it this episode. I just talked about so much Jewish food. It's not my fault Jesus was Jewish. Generoso left me with one more fascinating fact. Despite the fact that the wine is supposed to represent Jesus's blood, he says the current Pope exclusively drinks white wine and it has to be organic and natural. It's very interesting. Wine used by the Pope are not red, is white. First of all, it must be biologically active and alive and must not have undergone any chemical treatment either in the vineyard or in the cellar. Norway sulfite be added to it, but only white grapes from different farms are used for this wine. It's very interesting. It's not red, it's, it's white. If you are fascinated by this kind of food and this menu, there is a way that you can eat a version of it. Generoso tipped me off to a restaurant in Jerusalem called the Eucalyptus. The chef owner serves modern interpretations of biblical cuisine. According to the website, all of the spices and herbs used in the dishes are grown in the hills around Jerusalem, just like in ancient times. We are going to take a quick break, but when we come back, a lot more with Carla Lolly music. We talk about how to make a dish go viral on Instagram and which condiment her family loves so much they go through a jar a day. We'll be right back. Carla's new cookbook has sophisticated recipes like grilled squid with blackened tomatoes and a Sunday ragu that takes hours and hours to simmer. But Carla's son says her best dish is the charred broccoli covered in melted cheddar cheese that she improvised one night for dinner. And in the book, she has a recipe for a tuna sandwich. What is your perfect tuna salad? Because I love tuna salad, but it's my secret food. I would never make it for anybody. Exactly. And I feel like I eat it alone. Like, 
very alone, like I'm hiding. <laughs> it's funny because in the head note to that recipe, I said, like, this is so personal. Like, everybody has their tuna salad sandwich and their one is the perfect one and everybody yeah. else's is like wrong and I'm just I'm owning that like this is how I like it you can do your house your rules but mine has horseradish it has chopped oh. up pepperoncini it has a shallot that you soak in lemon juice at the beginning so you kind of get the shallot and the lemon juice going and then prep and cut your other stuff it has mayonnaise, it has a little bit of vinegar, and it has green hot sauce. The Tabasco jalapeno oh. or any kind of green hot sauce. Once you've got everything together, you pour the kind of lemon pickled shallot in at the end, and it just like brings it all together. Yum. Yeah. So is that the crispy part from the shallot? Is it sliced up or is it chopped? Little dice. Okay. Yeah. Mm, but the pepperoncini, I also really love that green, very briny, like pickled pepper flavor. And there's lots of those in there. I buy pepperoncinis exclusively for my secret tuna moments. <laughs> you amazing. Okay, I'm not alone. You're not alone. You don't have anything pretentious about you. Your recipes are not fussy. The way that you present it aren't fussy. I was wondering, being on Instagram and being in this big food world where there's so much fuss. And, you know, especially on Instagram, people are always like, what's the next turducken? Do you feel a pressure to kind of compete or, you know, to come up with something trendy? Yeah. Thank you for saying that. First of all, it's very nice compliment. You know, I think that there's definitely pressure to kind of come up with what's the new thing going to be and what are people going to be really into and how do you make a viral recipe and I think whenever you set out to try to create a recipe that's going to go viral, you fail. That doesn't happen because you're trying. Do you ever make TikTok recipes? Because I have to say I never trusted any of them. And then I made that uh, tomato feta pasta and it was really good. I was so surprised how good it that's was. That's what everybody said. It's like, it's actually really good. Yeah. The one that we got really into, I think it hit at the perfect time of quarantine was the folded quesadilla where you make the slit. Yeah. And then this summer I was talking about the watermelon and mustard trend. Did you catch that one? No, I did not. So people were just eating wedges of watermelon with yellow mustard, like French's mm. yellow mustard squeezed onto it. And I was seeing it everywhere. Lizzo did it. My dad just came to the lunch table one day and he had like the watermelon cut up and the jar of French's. And we were like, okay, the textures aren't right. The mustard is just like weird and cold and mushy. Loopy. But the flavors, it's kind of like a watermelon, feta, pickled red onion. Like you have that sweet, fresh, juicy watermelon that goes really well with something kind of vinegary and kind of salty, which is what the mustard yeah. is. You know it's jumped the shark when your dad brought it out, right? Totally. <laughs> what are three things that you must have in your fridge or pantry? I mean, in the fridge, we have to have whole milk, cow's milk. I drink black tea every morning. My husband drinks coffee. The boys are having cereal. There was no milk in the house this morning. It was a problem. It's like a bad scene. Will you still drink a whole glass of milk? No, and I never really did, except I will have like a shot glass with that marble cake. Super cold. Super cold and like super short. Drinking a whole glass of milk is like insane to me. I love it. I'm like the last adult left on earth. 
I tried to order it on airplanes, and they're like, "No, dude, we don't have that." I'm like, what about for babies? They're they gonna bring you babies. like all the little tiny creamers. The they're creamers, like, "Here, you can yeah. have twenty of these." Did you used to drink those when you were little? No. <laughs> oh yeah, me neither. <laughs> Um, also in the fridge at all times, and if not, there's an emergency, is kimchi. This household goes through a jar of kimchi pretty much every day. What do you guys put it on? Everything. I put kimchi on like a turkey sandwich. We eat it with rice. We had beef with the ginger and lime from my cookbook last night with rice, and there was just kimchi on the table. It's just like, when don't you want like a spicy fermented pickle? When don't you want that? Yeah. Yeah. It's great. So kimchi, whole milk, and then from like the pantry pantry, we have to have rice. Rice took over in the pandemic. We had rice every night. At the beginning of the pandemic, I was like, okay, guys, if it's about a protein and a veg and a starch, we had to lock down starch. And so it's like, is everybody cool if the starch every night is rice? And everybody was cool and we had rice every night. You all voted for rice. Can't go wrong. Okay, I'm going to ask you a little speed round. Are you ready? Sure. Okay. Um, What is your perfect birthday cake? Marble cake. So we've been having the same Fanny Farmer baking book, marble cake, since I was a kid. It's everybody's birthday cake. It's my mom's, my dad's, my kids. Everybody gets a marble cake. So it's black and white with a fudge frosting. I love that you guys have that as a tradition. That's so special. What is your favorite movie theater snack? Oh, I bring my own nutritional yeast to the movie theater. <laughs> so it's like... In your purse, and then you put it on the popcorn? Literally. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, what is the best pasta shape, and what is your least favorite pasta shape? Oh, God. Okay. Mm, that's hard. I love fusilli, but I especially mm-hmm. love... Now there's like so many amazing pasta makers that are distributed in the U.S., and there's one, I don't know the brand, but they make like the giant fusilli so it's like that same spiral but they're huge yeah i bought those recently love and then least favorite i mean i'm on record with this angel hair yep it sticks together it sticks together it doesn't give you enough tech like it's all about the al dente texture and the capellini is so fine like you can't discern that but people take this to mean that i don't like vermicelli and i just want to say if we're talking about a rice noodle, it's completely different, and I'm totally fine with vermicelli. And that was Carla Lolly Music's Last Meal. Make sure and pick up Carla's new, beautiful, bright yellow cookbook. It's called That Sounds So Good. Maybe you want to give it to somebody as a gift this holiday season. I highly encourage you to buy it from a local independent bookshop trying to keep those open. Here in Seattle, we are so lucky to have this beautiful all cookbook bookstore called Book Larder. Hop in if you're in the area or they do ship books around the country. Thanks to Italian archaeologist Generoso Orciulli. This episode was produced by Laura Scott and me, theme music by Prom Queen. Make sure you're following along on Instagram. I'm Hello Rachel Bell. That's B-E-L-L-E. I just came back from a two-week hashtag van life road trip through Utah. So if you want to see some of those pictures, they are up now at Hello Rachel Bell on Instagram. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please write us a review. It really does help to get the show out to more people. I'm Rachel Bell, and this is your last meal. Sorry for my English, but uh, I'm Italian. <laughs> All Italian speaks English in a very bad, awful way. 
No, your English is really good. I think it's just because the room has the echo. It's a little bit harder for me to hear. So yeah, your English is really good. 